Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. I think at the beginning, everybody was afraid to hit each other really hard. And we had to really encourage, like, harder, harder, it's okay. Like, knock me over, it's fine. Women across the Middle East played a big role in the Arab Spring. In Egypt, they were strongly represented at protests. Times were changing in many ways. One way was roller derby. A lot of the women who were on the team were going into the protests, and a lot of them would report that because of their experience with chirolers and their, their comfort levels increasing with physical contact, they could hold their space more. They felt less threatened. They were more empowered. In 2012, Angie Castor moved to Cairo and co-founded Rollers, the first roller derby team in Egypt. This is Small Changes, a podcast about how sometimes the seemingly smallest change can have the biggest impact. This week, I'm talking to Angie about strength and empowerment for women in Egypt and how you can find them both by getting knocked over on skates. I'm Lucy Lamble. So we're talking about this great sport. Uh, we're going to have to first of all work out what it's called. So I'm going to call it roller derby, being a Brit. Is, is that right? <laughs> sure. Derby, derby. Talk us through what actually happens on the track. There are two teams of five? Yeah, there are two teams of five that line up on a starting line. A whistle blows and each team has a jammer. So if you're actually ever seen Derby, you'll see one person with a star on her helmet. That's the jammer. She's the point scorer. Every time they pass another opposing skater, they score a point. So you have one jammer and then the rest of the girls on the track with her are blockers. And the blockers are trying to play offense to get their jammer through their pack of skaters and defense to keep the other team's jammer from getting through. Looks pretty hectic and physical out there. It's very hectic and physical because you have to stay within such a close proximity of each other. Then, you know, there's a lot of physical agility required to physically hold your space in a pack and not get knocked over or to, you know, quickly get out of the way and maneuver your way around strategically. The blocking is very strategic, obviously, just positionally blocking or creating walls with other team members to keep other people from getting through. But yeah, it's pretty high intense because you're you're all right there in the same space, kind of bumping into each other and trying to control the space. It's all about controlling that space. So you were involved in founding the first roller team in Egypt, the first roller mm-hmm. der- derby or roller derby team, as I'm going to say, in Egypt. <laughs> That's okay. how, did, how did it all begin? 
I actually say that this story began in London because when we made the decision to move to Cairo, Egypt, I was super excited about the move, but crushed about potentially not playing roller derby anymore. And I was at my last practice with the London Roller Girls and someone said, you know, how are you feeling about moving? And I was just talking about how crushed I was to leave roller derby. And I made a joke and said, I'll just have to start a team in Egypt. I'll call it the Cairo Rollers. And um, well, fate will have it that the first week I was in Egypt, I actually met the co-founder, Shanika Bickham. And she found me because my husband had a roller derby t-shirt on and you know she's like oh my god roller derby and and we discovered each other and talked about how much we missed the sport and fantasized about the idea of actually starting a, a team in Egypt we were very delusional we had just moved to Egypt a week before that and then it actually happened because we planted the seed right when we got there and then after a year of acclimating to a new country we began the steps to actually start the team and why did it matter to you and the others at the beginning to get this going in Cairo? Obviously, you love love the sport, but it, there's a bit more to it. It's bringing a whole new sport to, to Egypt. Absolutely. Absolutely. I felt like I knew, obviously, having a social work background and, and you know, also in the States, I'd worked in like women and children's rights issues and that kind of thing as well. So I really just appreciated, I'm a physical and, and sporty kind of kind of sport, not really sporty, but like I liked playing the sport, but what I liked the most about the sport was what it did for the people on the track and in the team, um, or even supporting the team. You know, there's so many people that actually support the team without skating as well. And that's a whole other conversation. But what I loved about it was the community building and the empowerment that people seem to get from being a part of that community. And when I got to Cairo, you know, it was just a few months after the initial revolution and there was just a lot of sort of confusion and and certainty and a lot of women's empowerment issues were becoming at the forefront of, you know, social media and big time conversations. And, you know, I just instinctively felt like this would be such an amazing thing to start in that community at that time, that it was just necessary. You've lived all around the world and, and you've obviously encountered lots of different cultures in that experience, especially as a woman. How did you find the culture in Cairo when you first arrived? It was tough for me, you know, and it, and it's interesting conversation because, you know, one of the initial challenges of our team in general was that we were a bunch of women with very um, varying backgrounds and experiences and diverse perspectives about what was happening in Egypt. And, and they weren't light opinions. They were very strong and sometimes infuriated and sometimes passionate opinions, you know, sexual harassment. Um, in Egypt was a huge issue at that time. And other people kind of seemed to, you know, to not, to not think it was such a big issue, but, you know, so we had a, a lot of discussions about how we as a team needed to present ourselves or where it was safe to practice or not safe to practice or whether or not we should cancel practices or, you know, just so many of those sort of like layered conversations about how to function in that environment. But the culture of Cairo is familial. It's not just revolution. It's not just sexual harassment. It's, it's got, it's developing issues and, you know, it's post sort of militant country developing woes and it's complex. And so a lot of journalists, we had so many journalists come in and view us and some of the most frustrating interviews only focused on those negative aspects and they failed to really capture the spirit of what, of Egypt and in the magical place that it was and the sort of like renovations that were happening despite all the other, you know, terrible stuff. 
but you know, it's a passionate place. People have opinions there. It's loud. People talk loudly and passionately and with a lot of force and action, but it's also familial. You know, once you develop a community or even a relationship with the local person, you're in their family for life. And that's an awesome feeling, you know, and it's, it's innovative. So many sort of new initiatives were happening there at that time and still, and resilient. I, people were working with broken and corrupt systems and they still managed to make things happen. And so I think it's something that the sort of developing world can learn a lot from that kind of spirit of DIY and, and doing whatever you need to do to make something happen. Did people have even any basic experience of skating? Where, where did you start? So we had a few expats and mostly local women. That was always our goal is to recruit local women. And nobody who, who I think was local had any kind of roller skating experience. A few people had roller blade experience, but not roller skating experience. And then Shanika and I, the founders, had our derby experience. So we were kind of the main trainers. Well, we were the main trainers. And we had David Brown, who was a executioner. That uh, was his name. He's from Texas. And he was an amazing skater. And he offered to be our first ref. And so between the three of us, we pretty much taught everybody how to skate. We had to teach to fall. We had to teach to get back up. And I would say like for the first six practices, we're literally skating backwards and holding people up. And we would have these open practices and promote them in the local community. Anybody can come and try on the skates. And then we started talking, do we actually let them try on the skates? Because they might not ever come back because like, you know, like they would just look like you know baby deer out there on the track and just fall over and over and over again and we would just skate backwards and hold them up and and let them feel what that's like but then we would show them you know what they will be doing in three months time and somehow more and more people kept signing up because it just looked like something so different so interesting and fun or empowering and you know, they'd never, they didn't have many choices for sports after the age of 18. And a lot of people like had a background as a, a you know, ballerina or, or no sport at all, but it was just an intriguing and fascinating idea. You've mentioned empowerment. What does that actually look like in Egypt? What, what did it mean for the young women that took part? Oh my gosh, there's such beautiful stories throughout the years. You know, when we were in I don't want to say post-revolution, but I suppose like the post-initial revolution because the revolution has taken, it's probably still taking place, you know, and, and when we were there, it was the early years afterwards. And I think we went through two more presidents and a military coup while I, while I was there over three years and the two years that I was running Chirolers. And it meant that a lot of the women who were on the team were going into the protests and a lot of them would report that because of their experience with chirolers and their their comfort levels increasing with physical contact, they could hold their space more. They felt less threatened. They were more empowered. They were physically stronger. And because of that physical strength, you know, we, we all know that our mind, bodies and, and spirits are all interconnected. And so like, you know, that physical strength also translated to mental strength. And, you know, we just had a slogan that I, and a mantra that I think a lot of derby teams use is that when you fall down, you get back up. When you fall down, you get back up. And, and I think falling down over a course of two hours, maybe 50, 60 times learning to skate really does something for your mental stamina. So we have that. And I think uh, something that a lot of people don't know about roller derby is that it's, it's not just a sport 
sport and in a sense it's a business and it's run by the skaters in the community for the skaters in the community. So when you join the team, you also have to join a committee and those committees are like finance, marketing, sponsorship, fundraising, social media, creative design, these types of things. And so a lot of the, the people coming onto the team join a committee maybe in an unrelated field to their day jobs and and, and just to see how something like this all comes together and how all aspects of running an organization function. And so a huge majority of girls and of women on our team have gone on to start their own businesses or have moved on to advance professionally. And that's not, that's not uncommon. And I think that, you know, one of the girls playing for, for Kai Rollers now, Aya Food, has started her own film company and she documents women who are victims of acid attack or horrific domestic violence and, and tries to raise awareness in that way. And, you know, we have another girl who started a foodies tourism company called Bellies and Route. And we had another girl who, you know, started her own graphic design business. And so people are understanding that what can happen independently, you know, with the right support team and doing that outside of the team. And that's hugely empowering. I did the same thing. I was a social worker and then a teacher. And then I started my own coaching business after playing roller derby. And I understood what I needed to do to make that happen. And are Egyptian women used to contact sports like this? Absolutely not. No, (laughs) not at all. I think at the beginning, you know, everybody was afraid to hit each other really hard. And we had to really encourage like harder, harder. It's okay. Like knock me over. It's fine. And, you know, like you've got a lot of strength. You can really be a major blocker here or you've got a lot of speed. Like you can really use that to to become a little more agile and use what you have basically. And what do people wear to play roller derby? It's quite a conservative culture, so it varies. I would say, uh, you know, most women are wearing like pants and maybe a shirt, but a lot of women choose to, to cover their arms and their hair. And so they still skate. They just wear their headscarf under the helmet. And we, you know, it was interesting because we would always worry about overheating. Egypt is a hot place and we practiced year round outside. So, you know, on days where it was beyond 40 degrees Celsius, we'd have to keep taking breaks and remind them to drink water and to take their helmet off to let their head breathe a little bit because they're just covered from head to toe. Um, But, you know, for them, it was just how they dress. It wasn't a big deal for anyone. And did you get different kinds of reactions from women and men or, or people of different generations? Um, yeah, I think so. I think it's sort of shrouded in the, in the sort of like, in the haze of the unknown. It was the very first roller derby team in Egypt and in that area of the Middle East as well. You know, the culture of Egyptian women, especially kind of range drastically. So a lot of people had parents that were not supportive of them playing until we started having like open practices for family and friends to come and see what they were doing. And then they, you know, a lot of times they would change their mind and become proud and see that they were just sort of playing a sport on roller skates and, um, enjoying themselves and a whole aspect of their personality was shining as a result. But, you know, a lot of women had not played sport after their high school years. It wasn't custom. It's not custom in Egypt to play sport after, you know, your your secondary years in school. After 18, it just doesn't happen. So the fact that we're starting this sort of like league for women post the age of 18, it's like, well, what's that all about? What would you say is distinctive about the, about this particular team? I think the resilience in this team is distinctive. Oh my gosh, the amount of resilience. You know, 
we're talking our very first practice, we had a venue tell us that we could practice there. And then when we showed up, they were afraid we would get too much attention in public. So they actually moved us to the rooftop of a abandoned bridge and then provided rooms for us to sweep off the, the floor because the dust was so heavy that we could barely skate. And we skated anyways, <laughs> you know, and everybody's gear is hand-me-down. We can't get gear there. People aren't taught to roller skate there, um, you know, like – so you can't buy roller skates and, and, but yet we, you know, we do gear drives internationally and we accept donated gear. So people are just happy to keep putting tape over the holes and doing whatever they can to keep skating. And, you know, it, there's so many barriers. Every practice was a barrier, just trying to explain what the sport was. And there was a lot of fear of the unknown in that time. We practiced in a couple public spaces where like the, the guys would kick the ball into our track over and over and over again, or outside of the fence, they would, you know, sit and yell kind of obscene things and, and cat call us. Um, after one practice, there was a journalist team there actually taking photos of us. And we were stopped by plainclothes, you know, military and kind of questioned about what we were doing and why we were gathering in a big group. It sort of, it seemed like every time we would gather together, there would be some sort of conflict or stressor to get over. And, and yet the team just continued to sort of focus on the fact that we're just a group of people that want to skate around in a circle and support each other and grow stronger as a result. Angie now lives in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and Kai Rollers have been playing together for six years. Travel's not easy, but they've recently played their first public games against visiting foreign teams, the Marseille Bloody Skulls and the Abu Dhabi Desert Divas. The economy's not great, and it's not easy for them to get a new kit. So if you're interested in going through Egypt on holiday, look up Kai Rollers on Facebook and let them know. Maybe you can help. If you liked this episode, then please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Small Changes is a global development podcast. You can read our work at theguardian.com forward slash global hyphen development. And join the discussion on Twitter. We're at Guardian Podcasts. If you want to get in touch, you can tweet us there or it's podcasts at theguardian.com. We'll be back next week. I'm Lucy Lamble. The producer is Gabriella Jones. This was Small Changes. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.